today we are going to talk about uh, leadership in general. Um, so I'm going to disappoint you extremely today. Okay? I know that. That's okay. I decided to do it. Because I'm going to show you the menu and not much, not much more. So you're not going to eat too much. You're just going to see the menu. Because I want to send you out hungry. Because of her mistake. She gave me only three hours. <laughs> it's a mistake. So when I phoned her and I said, okay, we can cover this, this, she said, but you can't leave anything out. So, so I will show you the menu. That's it. But in some cases, like in my own case, if people show me the menu, I get fired up. I get going. Other people, they want the detail, like my wife. You went to detail, you know, and, and yeah, and other people I know you well enough to want to be there. And, uh, uh, but sorry, sorry, sorry for that. Uh, hopefully, it will whet your appetite to the extent that you'll say, I have to learn more about this. So I, I want to open your eyes for a few things. That, that's what I want to do this morning. Just open your eyes. You are esteemed leaders, you are grown leaders, adult leaders, you have led many people already. So I'm not talking to novices, so I can set the bar a little higher, is that okay? So I'm going to, to set the bar a little higher, uh, but take notice of these things, because since I finished with, um, with UXA, uh, we started uh, in my last year of UXA, 1999, I started a leadership institute or school, we call it, the Americans like to call it schools, a leadership school, uh, called ISLS, International Sports Leadership School. And then four years later started another one, Alex, African Leadership Institute for Community Transformation. And in these two schools, we've trained more than leaders from more than 155 nations now already. And so we have 40 cultures every year for three months, which means, not nothing to boast about, but which means they push you. Is, is that right? When you have people, they make you. You, you don't become a leader, you, they make you. Is that right? By pushing you, asking all the questions, uh, challenging you on all sides, and, and I've been challenged quite a bit on, on leadership. And, and that grows you, or that develops you. But it is not in the classroom only. Then God is just good. God is good. Uh, and so when he does not leave you, which is this thing that he does lately with many leaders, he just walks out. That's why my prayer, um, consistent prayer, is let your Holy Spirit not depart from you. Because God is walking out on many Christians lately. If you don't believe what I'm saying, come and I'll give you detailed information and then we can explain. But God is walking out on people. Because of their, their uh, disobedience, obviously. And their lack of repentance and so on. But it's not a new thing. You read the Bible, you see the prophets, he's, he's walked out on people. He gives window opportunities, and if they don't take it, he, he walks out. So I, I got actually, I still answer the guys. The guys said, How can the Holy Spirit leave you when he's been in you? Go and read 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 21, I think it is. Uh, and then you'll see. Uh, it's possible. So, um, anyway, I'm not here to talk about that. I just want to say that, uh, fortunately, since I left Uxa, the biggest change in my life happened about 10, 11 years ago. 
through a guy that most of you, maybe all of you know very well, and his name is Norm Wakefield. So I was in a small group of about eight people, and he told the story of the birth of his last daughter, fourth um, child. And that three-minute story changed my life forever. Dramatically and drastically, completely different person than I've been before. Because of understanding something that I did not get from anyone in my theological training of nine years. And that is, what does it mean to love? Um, because 99.9% .9 of the pastors do not understand it at all. And what they preach is a mix between Old Testament and New Testament love. That's the problem. Never mix it. Never mix it. So, preach the love of Jesus. And the love of Jesus is not. Please. And they all preach it. Love others as you love yourself. People's misunderstanding of that is so vast that you rather not preach it. Preach the real gospel, which is John 13, 34, 35. Love one another as I have loved you. Can you see why you can go wrong when you say you must love others as you love yourself? Because then they say you must love yourself first, and this is exactly where they go wrong. That's Old Testament. Not New Testament. So you take your love for yourself, and then you project it onto others. Is your love for yourself the same as Jesus' love for us? It's vastly different. Okay, but well now here I'm on, on an agenda that I didn't plan for today. <laughs> but my life changed dramatically 10 years ago. And I learned how to love people without any expectation. Zero expectation. Therefore, zero disappointment. Therefore, since 10 years ago, me and my wife, we have heaven at home. A place of zero conflict, zero expectation, zero conflict. Got it? It's possible. That you call heaven on earth. That's what Jesus meant. Heaven on earth. All right. So this is what you're going to bring to other people. This is your assignment. Come, repent for the kingdom of God. Not the king. The kingdom of God is at hand. Come. And I'll show you how the king rules. And he rules with this love. No expectation. That's why you can love your enemy. Because you expect nothing. In return. That you can love people. That's why you can love people that actually give you nothing. They never appreciate it. The moment that you say, I'm not appreciated. You are self-centered. Extremely self-centered. The moment you think it, You are contaminated. And you have a serious problem. You understand? That's why love is free, and life is freedom. Because if you love like that, you are completely free. Free from what other people think, and now that they did it, and all of that stuff. And you are free to live in Christ. Okay, that was not me speaking, uh, because I did not prepare this. I was just telling you, actually, my life is different. I wish I was, I knew that at 36. I'm sorry, I don't know, I did not. I'm sorry. I did not know anything about that. No! <laughs> my wife suffered. And, uh, yeah. Uh, see, my wife is a survivor of, of the wrong me. But in any case, um, and then everything changed. So, the last 10 years is absolutely phenomenal. Um, so, we enjoy, enjoy going around in the world. And this is what we do. We just train people how to be here and more. 
my grandfathers, indeed my mothers, how to bring heaven home. Real heaven home, not conception, not in faith, in reality. How do you live heaven at home? Because we know it goes wrong here, it goes wrong everywhere. Okay. Leadership. Leadership. I I have different metaphors obviously for leadership, but one that I like most is leaders. Uh, leadership is like captaining a ship. Now, like a yacht, like that. Captaining a ship, you see here's a more, more clear picture, maybe. So leadership looks like that. Now, which one on that ship is Anna-Marie Trump? <laughs> she's yeah, she's on the line now. Oh, she's on the line outside. Uh, so the, 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 the interesting thing, we can learn so much, and I, I, I don't want to take you too deep into the metaphor, but when, this is the, the understanding of leadership is horrendous. And the reason for that is mostly equated with position, which is the worst thing that you can ever do. You never equate leadership with position. Leadership is not a position. So when someone gives you a leadership position, you never say, I thank you for the trust that you have restored. You never say it. Because it's not important. Leadership is responsibility. It's not a position. And, um, and, and so, so but, but can you see what, what it takes? It takes that you have a crew, and you have to manage that chaos in the crew. Can you see it? You don't even know who's the leader, and that's why the leadership is so efficient. Because you don't see it. Because it's part of the chaos, or part of the movement of everything, of all parts. And, uh, and, but also you have to deal with a constant, with a thing. Well, in your case, it's a, this boat is a school. So you have, to, you have to keep this boat above the water. Okay, the school above the water. So it's, it's a system for those. In this case, it's school. But then you have to deal with the sea as well. And most people forget that leadership is actually, or top leadership, or, or top management, top leadership, top, whatever you call it, uh, it is actually to deal with the sea, not with the boat. You ask any captain of the boat, what is the most important thing? And he will tell you to read the sea. Anyway, to read the sea. If you can't read the sea, you're done. Now, the sea in South Africa is not the easiest place. It's probably the most difficult place on planet Earth to be a leader is South Africa. I know it because I travel the world. I travel 22 nations every year. I, I, I know. South Africa is probably the most difficult place to become a leader. That's why we have so few leaders in South Africa. Because they don't know what to do with the sea. And they avoid the sea. They want to sail on the lake. That's why this, even now, we have to know that as we are here, we are not representing the composition of this nation. So how are we going to do that? Because we cannot change other ethnic groups. If you're white, oh, you can influence a lot, you cannot change. Culture, you can just change from the inside. You can never get a change from the outside. You can see things from the outside. Observe things, inspire things from the outside. But culture, you've got to feel. You can't feel it, you can't change There's no other way. So uh, we are extremely challenged in this nation. 
really change this nation. Because we must change the seed. The seed you can say to instance in Jeffrey's Bay is how do we change the culture of Jeffrey's Bay to never be the same again? That is a seed question. It's a culture question, if you understand. And that means the whole of Jeffrey's Bay, not parts of Jeffrey's Bay, the whole of Jeffrey's Bay. Collective. Right? So I was super frustrated one day because since I'm a small boy, they selected me in leadership positions, and I've been in whatever leadership training you can imagine, I've been all through all of them. From the beginning until the end. And uh, then after a while you get a completely fed up with this. You hear the same thing over and over and over again. You look around you and you say, and if everyone knows this, why does nothing change? What is happening? What, what's going on? And one day I was in a select group of leaders up in Johannesburg so that we can discuss something related to our nation. That night I was so frustrated because they decided to mix us, young and old, well, not old, old then, well, but like in that stage. You could argue I was old, but probably about 45, 50, yeah. That's very young. That's still very young. Uh, I know it now, but uh, anyway. Uh, so I saw myself as the older one, about 50, and there were others, I like late 20s and so on. And uh, at the end of the day, I thought, why am I so frustrated? I said, Jesus, is this pride in me? That I'm sitting with young, inexperienced leaders and I'm frustrated? Is this pride? Is this what you call pride? What, what's happening with me? And, and, and it just didn't disappear. It just stayed there. So in the middle of the night, I got up and I said, Lord, please, you've got to give me an answer. Why am I frustrated? If it is sin, I've got to confess it. If it is not sin, what is it? Because then you have an answer for it. And so what I'm going to share right at the beginning with you is what happened that night. Because God revealed to me that when we use the word leader, we all think of different things. We look at this world from word from different perspectives. Can't help it. It's due to your experience. And it's due to your makeup. How God created you. So God created some people to be able to think in some ways and other people not to be able to think in those ways. For a reason. For a very clear reason. And I was frustrated because the people I was with, they did not think from the position that I would think on leadership. And I could not convince them, they couldn't convince me. And I was just frustrated. And then God said, we relax. You don't have to think like they think. And they don't have to think like you think. But you must see the difference. If you don't see the difference, you will forever be frustrated in any leadership problem. Okay, so hopefully I, it will help some of you today that have been frustrated through the talks on, on leadership. What I discovered that night is we have five levels of leaders. I know other people talk on five levels, but not the same as I talk on. And the, the, these levels at the bottom here, relational and organizational skills, all must happen. Even at the top level, you must happen. But this is where you start. So 90% of all books on leadership write on what? Relational skills. You go and read John Maxwell and you'll see relational skills. And he's very good at it to write, to write on. But it's a relational skill. So how to communicate, how to be 
conflict, decision making, da, 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 relational skills. How to team, all the things about team, team leadership. Yeah. It's all about this basic level. It's basic level. Emotional intelligence is you get it there, obviously you get it right here, but you get it there, and, and so on. So that's relational skills. Organizational skills, something that Anna Marie would not like, me neither. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's why I had a big brook, and I don't know, Anna, uh, maybe you are a big brook. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so uh, organizational skills, how to organize things. Bazaar, school, team, whatever it is. Everyone must have some organizational skills if you are in leadership. You don't have to like it, but you, you need some skills in that. Or you have to appoint people with great skills in it to do it for you. Right, but that's a very basic thing. So basically these, actually I should put them next to each other because people, some people are more people inclined and other people are more uh, task inclined. You can do the desk if you want to see what, who you are. And, and then you do these skills. Then there are some people that have mobilization skills, but not all people have. So now you can understand that they put leaders at the top leadership position without mobilization skills. Like pastors. <laughs> they can preach. They can inspire. That's a relational skill. You understand? That's a motivational skill. But it's not a mobilizational skill. But no one moves. You understand? And they call them leaders. They aren't leaders, but they are leaders at a specific level of impotence. Impotence meaning they can't move people into a specific direction. Do you understand why we're struggling this nation? They put people in a position where they can't move people. So some people like the trade unions maybe, they have great skilled people in mobilizational skills. Now you could, you could argue down and drive in a way, but okay. That's enough. But they can move people. They can get a crowd. Now how do I know this? At this stage, we wanted a uh, uh, transformation in, in Stellenbosch, and we wanted to call in the pastors to get the people. And we said, okay, easy. We have more than 100 pastors in Stellenbosch. If each of you bring 50 people, we have 5,000 people. Can you do that? They said, no. We will make an announcement <laughs> at our church. <laughs> if I say to you now, you have half an hour or one hour to get 50 people gathered somewhere, any 50 people of your liking, and you cannot do it. You do not have mobilization skills. It's as simple as that. So how many people have that? How many people in leadership responsibility do you even think about it? Ever? If you cannot gather 50 people in one hour, you do not have mobilization of skills. So you can never be put in a position where you need mobilization skills. Because you cannot do it. Is that right? So what did Jesus try to do when he came with discipleship? What is discipleship? What is discipleship? It's mobilizational skills. It's actually more. It's transformation skills, but okay. But definitely also mobilizational skills. Go to all the nations to do what? To move. I give 
I've been given all that power. I'm with you. Go to all the nations and move them. Move them. And people don't even have a black white house. They're not concerned in moving people. Why not? Because they don't know where to move them to. <laughs> you understand? This is where vision and all the other things come in. Mobilizational skills. How to move people from point one, point B. Now that's the easier one. That's for instance, you have to uh, have a big picnic somewhere and you have to get people from the school to this beach to have a picnic. So that is you move them. So that's organizational stuff involved, relational stuff involved. And then you have to tell them, let's go. And then you gotta get them there. Sometimes it's difficult, like when I when we had to get the 200 kids into the townships in 1990, what was that? Where was before that? Before democratic government uh, came uh, in. So uh, that was not easy. Uh, you know, to move white kids into a black township. And this is the last place that I want to be. Then you need some mobilization skills. I can tell you very funny stories about that. But some mobilization skills. Mobilization skills, okay? But then, mobilization skills does not include transformational skills necessarily. Transformational skill is where you don't move people from one place to another, but where you change their mind. So let me give you a little more detail, relational, how to communicate, so I did say that, how to optimize production, for instance. Mobilization skills, how to move people towards a common purpose, their transformational skills, how to change the culture. Organization, or community, or country, or how to change culture, 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 culture. The way people do things. Please, culture, when you hear the word culture, please always use the most simple form or, or definition of culture. It's a very simplistic one. How we do things. That's all it is. It's not, nothing to do with tradition. I mean, it include, can include tradition. But it's just the way we do things. Culture of a school, the way we do it. Culture of a family, the way we do things. Culture of an ethnic group, the way they do things. All right. So the way we do things. How many people have the skill to change culture? What do you think is the percentage of it? How many people write on leadership and then write on this? These books you get. Maxwell, as I said, those books you get by you know business management. You can find some few books. You don't get it on the leadership shelf. Mobilizational skills, where do you get that? They give you a few principles on it, but not much. But how many people write on transformational skills? Almost no one. Why? Very few people change culture. It's the most difficult thing to do ever to change culture. For Uxa, very few people know this. The only way to change culture in Uxa at a stage was everyone must resign. All structures must resign. That was the only way. I tried with other means. I, some of them, they may not know all the things I tried, but it didn't work. And the one guy said to me, you must do something more dramatic. Otherwise, it will never change. More dramatic either you resign, so that was the option, or everyone else resigns. I decided it's better than everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that was the only way to change culture. Get other people in. The wrong people are on the boat. You get other people in. 
not easy. The only way transformation skills. How do you change people's mind when they think about school in a specific way, and now they have to think about school in a different way? How do you do that? And it's only people with a specific kind of a mindset, very clear on where you want to reach, very clear on, on how you want, what do you want to achieve ultimately. They can change people from where they are to where they're supposed to be, how they think to what they are supposed to think. Do you understand that? Oh, come on, it's not so difficult. You look at it, it's so difficult. Shock your system. Not so difficult. Let me explain to you why it's not so difficult. Where are the married ladies in this room? Okay, ladies. Oh, very few of you that know how to change clothes, but okay. The married ladies in the room. Don't say anything. I don't want you to get, you to get into trouble. I just want you to think. So it's a rhetoric question. Just think. Did you change it? Don't say anything. Just think. Just think, just think. Did you change it? Okay. Okay. And it's amazing. If you ask, if you ask someone, married woman, you, you know where you see it? They can be masked, but you see it in the eyes. The eyes go. Nothing mm -hmm. you can tell me. I know. Is that right? You change his culture. The way he is doing. Hey, yes, guys. Look at that guy. Uh, you probably never dreamt about that before you got his first child. Transformational skills. How do you change if you're a pastor? How do you change a church denomination and the culture of a church denomination? How do you change the way of people do family in your church? How many pastors do that? How many pastors actually change the way people do family at home? How many? Hmm? And if you can't do family in a new way, in a kingdom way, what can you do in a, in a new way? You can do nothing in a new way. That's the basic one. How many pastors succeed in that? So how many transformational pastors do we have? You understand where the problem is? So, 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 so. This is, this is that one. Okay, then you have another one, and that is uh, Catholic skills, Ashton Kingdom culture in society in general. Now, that, that only 0.02% of people in society would do that. That's the Mother Therese. Change people's understanding of compassion. That's Nelson Mandela. Change people's understanding of forgiveness, for instance. You, know, you understand? Um, but there are, there are so few, so, so few, catalytic. So it's a global impact that you have uh, because, uh, because the, uh, the, your influence spreads very broadly and, and, and globally. Uh, that's why I, I, my effort is for all men, married men in the world, to say, if you ask them, what's your job? I bring them home. I hope even before I die, it's not before I die that after I die, 
all married men will say, my job is to bring heaven home. That's my job. This is the catalytic influence that I would like to have in this world. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know if I'll succeed, but we'll see. But you want, you want it there. All right, so now I want to show you this. You can see that this, this kind of leadership is advanced, and uh, you may find your transformation and organization in top leadership, but in middle management and all the rest, you, you, have, it, you have it at the bottom of the pyramid. Or if you look at the storm, the top two would impact the storm. So they will change the winds and the waves. They will change society. The rest will never change society. They function within society and they do different things there. So now, as I speak, I know that people with the inclination of catalytic leadership or transformational leadership, you will immediately say, no one has ever told me this. Here is the first guy that understands me. Because they don't talk about it. Uh, others will say, I'm okay. All right? Don't rock the boat. I'm okay where I am. I'm not called to be transformational. And not all Christians are called to be transformational in a broad context. Everyone is called to be transformational. Because you carry salt that other people do not have. So in a smaller smaller sense, maybe your home or neighbor and so on, in discipleship, got to be transformation in discipleship, but not in a total context necessarily. Some people they deal with a the boat, they just get the school going, and they sometimes feel it. And underneath, she's nowhere, she's in a lie on the sea. So uh, <laughs> what about this boat? This boat is running without uh, Anamari. Uh, yes. Because the catalytic leader should be nowhere and everywhere at the same time. Zach, that's it. Transformational leaders and catalytic leaders, you should be nowhere and everywhere at the same time. While the others are doing 30 days. The catalytic transformational leader must glide. You know? Up there, they glide and say, oh, it's going so fine. They're not killing each other. <laughs> What's the next thing we're going to do? Pioneers are there. Managers are there. Why I say this? Whether you like it or not, collectively, you are pioneer something very unique. And I think you will agree. How many of these kinds of schools do we have in this country? Any? Two? Three? None? many. So whether you like it or not, you're in the presence of a pioneering initiative that is unprecedented. And it didn't take me long to see it. I spent an hour yesterday before I started to talk and I just saw it because it's clear for people that have eyes for it. This is pretty unique. So if, if you want to become a pioneer anywhere, come and learn here. This is the place to learn. We don't see this in other places. Come, come and learn here. Uh, but the problem is this. How do you pioneer hand over to a manager? And in 99% of all cases, it is a failure. So that's another thing that we can talk on in the future. How do this really hand over? So that the, the next phase 
is not a, is not forcing it into a machine, just a machine with no life, because there is a curve on which everything in life goes. Everything in life goes like this. I'm sorry, it's bad news for you, but this is how it is. <clears throat> so there is a, the initial phase, and, and, and then there is what they call mission or movement. So here is movement and mission and, and, and so on. So I just want to write movement. Then here, when it plateaus out, it becomes management, you know, or maintenance. Actually, maintenance before management. And then, then it becomes really boring because yesterday is like today, like tomorrow. Some people feel this is great, this is what I like, because don't rock the boat, is that right? But then it goes down and it becomes monument. Where there's no life. This is what you see in churches all over the country. What you see in America, in Europe, and what you see in our country now. Dutch Reformed Church, most of the Dutch Reformed Churches, I didn't only mention the Dutch Reformed because I was a Dutch Reformed pastor. Okay, so I don't talk about other churches. I just talk inward. 80% of the Dutch Reformed Churches, they are now almost dead. So this is where they are. Very few of them young. Many, many years, but most years. And send us for pastor if he disagrees with me. We can go and look at statistics and make the talk. And then we'll see it's factual. It's not an idea, it's factual. It's just statistics. All right. I don't know about other churches, but I just want to say in schools, how many schools are really a movement? How many schools have that excitement that? That fire, that yes, we're going somewhere, and tomorrow will be new, and then we'll have another creative thing, and then we will go, and that it will always improve. How many schools are How many people are comfortable? You understand? Okay, so uh, finally, how can you hand over so that consistently you have this? Because right here is where you have to change. If you wait to change here, what happens is you're going down. This is much bigger than here. But any transformation, you have to pay this. This So the place is to use existing momentum to launch you to a new heart. That's key. But most people don't do it. And um, now, if you talk about age, sorry, I'm 66 now, so I am. That's not true. I'm so close, man. You're shutting the door. It's crazy. And this is why. So now, yeah, you know, I want to launch from here. You know? That's not easy, you know. You got to get there. It's not easy. All right. But fortunately, if you consistently do it, it's easier. All right. But but how to how to the pioneer group, the, the starting up group? How do they transition and empower 
successors to take their place. I have fears that I've invested in my successor, but in my life, who takes the world as a father and runs with it internationally. And I've been investing in him for three years now, and I'll do it two more years, and then I'll step down and never make a decision again, he will make a decision. But if you're not intentional about this, you're in trouble. Pioneers mostly find that what they build up as a legacy does not remain a legacy because they did not build up the people they can pay what you've started and stay with the dynamic movement of what you've started. Does that make sense? Okay, almost done. And then I'll uh, you talk to each other. Uh, so you can uh, improve on each of these levels and all of us. Whether you're on that level here or here, you always have to improve on your relational skills, organizational skills, etc., etc. Some people cannot move up, and that's fine. But we must know who we are and what God wants us to do. And we must respond on that. And, and, but you can improve on all of this all the time, obviously. Uh, here are some uh, developments in relational growth, for instance, that you can have, or in organizational attitude that you can have. So there are different things that you can do. All right, and that's it for the first shot. <laughs> so you are three by three, is that right? Three, find yourself two more, and you are three. Turn so we have three, three. Groups of three, groups of three. Then you're an implementer, 
and you take that dream and you get the instructions and you do it and you sleep in peace. Okay. But because God will then probably not ask your answers related. But guys like me, we're in trouble because God will ask us. So what did you do to impact society? Did you do anything? And because I've been assigned for it, so I can't escape it. I didn't choose it. It happened. All right. And that means I have to give account for it. And that's not easy. That's why I don't see that many people do it. Because it's got a big deal. Okay. And you've got to find the energy for it. Okay. Alright. Let me bring you to the three things. That was just a general introduction on leadership. Let me bring you to the three things I want to talk with you today. I want you to keep this little picture, very simplistic little picture in mind forever. And then when you say something that one, two, and three. One is you. You the leader. What about you the leader? What should you be conscious of? And I just want to leave two or three things there uh, that you should be conscious of. You the leader. Alright? Uh, why? Because uh, example is not a part of learning. Example is learning. And all teachers at this school should know this. It's not what you learn, it's what you demonstrate that will leave the impact. And if you forgot this, remember your teachers that influenced your life? Remember that? You can't remember anything that they, what they said. But you can remember what they did. So it's all about example. Example is training, Albert Schweitzer. Example is not a part of training, example is training. Uh, so it's the example that you set is the most important of all things on any leader or level of leadership. That's why in this country it is so uh, hard rendering that many leaders do not understand this basic, most basic principle of leadership. And that is not what I say, but what I do will count. They say, but they do something opposite. That's why we are one of the most corrupt countries in the whole world. Because they don't do what they say. And so doing is the key. And again, for the pastors here, so do you show the rest of the church how to be a father at home? If you don't do that, you can't talk about it. Be irrelevant, you won't influence anyone. So that's the key example. Alright, so that's the first one. Then the second one is for any movement, and this is this you can this could be Israel that had a responsibility to be the light for the rest of the world and it could be the discipleship group but, but any movement, and specifically Jesus understood this so well this is why he demonstrated it so well and I think our problem with Jesus is we listen to what he said but we forget to look what he did and to follow what he did to follow his example so he had a guiding community the group of disciples well, okay, so we have three, well, seventeen but, but they had a guiding community and with the 12, he demonstrated what it meant to have heaven on earth. What does it look like? Come and see. 
Come and as you see, we interact as disciples. You will know what heaven on earth is look like. This is Jesus' job. This is what he did for three years. So he was so clear. So when anyone would step into that guiding community, they would just, oh man, this is different. Uh, very few of us know how diverse they were. Four different political parties. We don't have time to go into that. But extreme political parties. In the one discipleship group. But man, they showed how to love each other. And so the guiding community. So my question everywhere when I go to company, school, I ask the pastors, draw your guiding community for the rest of the church to me. And give them names. I want to see the names. Who are they? Andy, Peter, what are their names? In your guiding, what is your guiding community? Any school, you've got a guiding community. Any niche, you've got a guiding community. Any company, if you want to establish culture, you've got to do it through your guiding community. They've got to set the example. They've got to set the trend. And then the rest must follow. And, and then, then you have the others that will follow the broader populace or population of people. They, they, they follow. So I want to say something about each of these three things, just for you to be cognizant of and, and then hopefully apply some of this. Ready? <laughs> Whenever I say are you ready, if you know me better, you will never say this. Yes. <laughs> you will say, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah, that's the good answer. Okay. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see if you are good. It all starts on the inside. Now you will remember um, uh, if, if, if the Uxa died, then I talked about the music inside because we got a uh, Shawshank Redemption uh, movie in those days. And I bought 16 harmonicas for 16 years that I had in those days. In those days, and I each gave them my harmonica. And I kept mine for at least 15 years, one meter from eyesight on my desk. My harmonica. Why? To remind me, I have the music inside. Other people may have trouble with music. I don't have any trouble with music inside because the resurrection music lives inside of me. And if people want music, come. Spend some time with me. I'll give you enough to be excited. So this is who we are. We're people that carry the music inside. Now you find in the Bible amazing things on example. And I struggled for seven years due to my theological background that said to me the worst thing, oh no, not actually my theological, actually my, my Afrikaans achtergrond. The biggest sin is to not be humble and your father make sure that you understand this. Okay. Is that right? So don't call anyone your disciple. That's pride. The disciple of Jesus. But it's not public. Let me show you it's not public. He said, Brethren, join in following my example. Who's speaking here? Is it Jesus or Paul? Okay. It's Paul, not Jesus. Follow my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. It's in us, the guiding community. John 13, this is Jesus. And your commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another like this. Now, 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of? There are places like Ephesians, be imitators of God, but here it says, be imitators of? 
mean. Now, the shocking thing in my life, my, my son, George, he was six years old. When I don't know what happened to me that day, I was inspired by something. I walked up to him and said, George, do you know, do you want to know how to be a great man one day and a great husband one day? And he said, yeah, daddy. And I said, watch me, I'll show you. And I turned around and I walked out. And as I walked out, I thought, oh, my word. What did I do now? That was very impulsive. <laughs> What did I do now? He's going to watch me. And he, he watched me. <laughs> that extent that whenever I go anywhere, I'm sitting in a hotel in Shanghai or wherever it is, and I think George is there with me because he's watching me. So whether he's present or absent, I have this little fellow following me, watching me. But uh, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. You want to know how to do a family? Come, live with us for a week or two. Oh, now the kids are gone. You should have come earlier. <laughs> come and come and live with us. We'll show you what heaven at home looks like. And and we, we we are supposed to invite people to come to the school. So we have a school that has heaven at home. This is this is heaven in a school. Want to see this? Come, come. And if you can't resist it, then you don't have ever. But we've got to find people to follow us. This is part of our discipleship. Don't tell people what to do, tell them to follow you. To do what you do. Uh, Philippians 4 9, the things you have learned and received. What's this? Learned and received. I was preaching on this, you received it. And heard and seen. Serious, huh? Oh, my word. Practice these things. The God of peace will be with you. Alright? Turn to the person next to you, two by two, quickly. Just look him in the eyes first. Say to them, I am the example of the world which to Transformation that, brought, that God brought through Jesus and His Spirit 
is so dramatically different to what other people think and believe. They, they must be born, they, they think they're not born into this. They don't understand this. That you govern this world with superior principles. And then he carries on by saying, for instance, that forgiveness is superior to hatred or, or retaliation or whatever. Do you understand? So, so there are just superior principles that we can. And if you don't understand this, you can't bring about real change. So the first thing for a leader is you've got to understand how you are completely different. You are just completely different to the average guy. Because the average guy goes to hell, Jesus said. Because the road is broad that goes there. That's the average guy. And narrow. You want to go to hell. So we are completely different. And this is the one thing that I taught my children more than anything else. This is the one thing that they heard since they opened their eyes. That little boy must hear it from now on forever. We don't think like other people because we are not like other people because we are born from above. That's it. So we are here on earth to change the world. To be more heaven-like. This is our job. You go to school to do it. You go home to do it. You go everywhere to do it. This is your job. To change the world. Be more Christ-like or more heaven-like. This is what Sunday of the day just says in all kinds of different words. Now, what I want to show to you here, and this will be a revelation for some people too, and that is how do I change actually people? And this is actually good news for you because it's now it becomes easier. How do I actually change people? They they discover by the neuroscience the field that I am so much interested in. Uh, that, that you actually do this by sensing things. That in your brain you have, and I'll, I'll use the easy word, what they call it, the limbic system, but you've got an emotional brain. So here by your ear, more or less, right here in the middle, you've got the emotional brain, and they call the limbic loop is that the emotional brains of people are interconnected. So everyone in this room has an impact on everyone else in this room, even without speaking. Okay, so if you're sitting there and you're tired and you're about to die, you have an impact on the people around you. <laughs> right. You make me wanting to die. Okay. <laughs> All right. Emotions are contagious. You understand? All right. So sometimes you have a very boring situation and then suddenly someone comes into the room. Yay! <laughs> oh, we're going to have fun. Is that right? Do you know people like that? Yeah. I know a guy like that. His name is Frankie. Okay. <laughs> so emotions are contagious. Emotions are contagious. Um, this is why I teach fathers, you bring him home. I teach fathers how to enter the front door. Because the way they enter the front door coming from work determines the atmosphere at home. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you go and read a very, very important book, The New Leaders from Daniel Goldman, written in 2007. The New Leaders, Daniel Goldman. You simply have to read it. Because they've, I, I, I'm not going to give you a lot of detail, but all I want to say, uh, even, look at that. You even impact the heart rhythms, the blood pressure, and all of that stuff just by being in a certain way. Got it? So atmosphere is everything in teaching. 
uh, I'll never forget it, you know, the, the, the teachers that I had. I had one guy, I love this guy. He always entered the room like this. And uh, I just love it. Now, being 12, 30 years old, you're at, you know, kind of end of your puberty, so you're, you're lethargic, you know, you're like, <laughs> so the guy always entered the room like this. Lema! Lema! Lie down if you want to, you know, that's kind of. And the first time I heard this, I was shocked because all other teachers, come on, sit up straight! You don't want to sit up straight, you want to laugh. Is that right? Lema! This guy in this room, he says, Lema! I thought you were saying my He doesn't like. So the, 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 the amazing thing is, and, and I talked with the specialist on this. Uh, the other day I was sitting with Peter van der Hastra. He's the he's the chairman of the Emotional Intelligence uh, Organization in South Africa, movement in South Africa. And, and Peter said, my cousin, please that. know this. If you walk into a room, a teacher or a parent, you walk into the room, you start to put stress on people. Hey, sister, do your work. Why? Look at your room. Clean up your room. You know, if, you, if you put stress on someone for five minutes, listen to this. The immune system of this person shuts down for six hours. Five minutes, six hours. Immunoglobulin A is not secreted in your brain for six hours. Immuno, can you hear the word immunoglobulin? Immune system. That's the most important for your immune system. Shuts down for six hours. Now I understand why some teachers just could not get results from it. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Is> impossible. <laughs> no, because it weakened my immune system, which actually also your discretion and it makes you tired it simply makes you tired so there were teachers always at the school that i was in this is like amazing tired man one hour with you it's like six hours already one hour they cannot get results from you and the other ones that were completely different i just got out of the room and energized and i got my best results so this is how it works this is just special stuff okay you got it so, uh, atmosphere is everything. This is just a summary of, of Daniel Goldman. Uh, just remember this that we all have mirror neurons. So, the way you walk into the room and the words that you say, the way you do it, what they feel, you got it? What they feel is important. George, remember at the church. No, but fortunately, the pastors from Jamie. Hallelujah, praise the Lord! <laughs> And you know, as pastors, sometimes, you know, Jesus is dead, he will rise one day in the future. <laughs> so the way you walk in is absolutely essential. So if I was a principal of a school, the only thing I would do is, I will find a way that I can feel the teacher in the class. I can never assess the teacher unless I feel it. Never. You can't. You cannot assess it on the work. I've done this work, but can you do it? What is that? That's nothing. <laughs> you feel a teacher. This is it. And it feels good or it feels bad. Before they speak, even. Is that okay? Most important thing for being a teacher. That's why you're a teacher. Because it is the highest impact 
on the child. You can't argue with this. Then the other side will kill you if you argue with this. So this is, this is what it is. Everywhere. Company, everywhere. All right. So I want you in your leadership is how they feel you is important. Now, I didn't did have anything on this when I was the leader at UXA. I only learned this later. But, okay, press announce, they call it, I'm not going to. So I, I just want you to ignite the secretion of neurotransmitters in the brain. And I'm not going to give you, you, you get this, how they feel, what they experience, this is important. Naturally, the formation of character, if you go to K. Ryan, which is the guru on character formation, then you will put experience very high. There are five things important to give. Example is one, experience is another. For instance, environment is number three. So what do you feel? The environment, experience, and example, they all to do with the emotional brain. So the emotional brain is simply the most important part of the brain. Now, I didn't know it. Guys do not know it. Fortunately, I grew up amongst four sisters from females because they have a much more active emotional brain than men. Parts of men's emotional brains have died in the process, but okay. So, how, how you feel is important. So, got it? Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I never met Nelson Mandela. I was in one meeting where he was on stage and I was in the room, but, but I never met him. But people that met him at close uh, encounters, they all said, there was something that I felt in his presence. I felt dignity. I felt important. And it was just something that to what you feel. This is it. This is it. And therefore, for instance, in my training of leaders, the most important is not what I train them, it's what I believe in them. This is the most important. Therefore, I'm often accused of the fact that I believe people better than they believe themselves. I believe them to be more than what they believe for themselves. Uh, and this is just something that God would do. Because I, I think that was Jesus. Jesus would walk up to a prostitute and she wouldn't feel, I feel like a prostitute. He's not looking at me in a way that I feel like a prostitute. He's looking at me in a way that I feel like a princess of the future. That's the way he looks at me. Why would people flock after a person if they didn't feel like that? You, you understand? Tax collector, you know? I'm the scum of the earth. They want to spit on me. When Jesus walks to me, he wants to rule with me. Can, can we go to your house today? But that was just not what he said. That is what he wrote about. This is how they felt. You, you, you get it? So please study Jesus and how people felt in the presence of Jesus. Just read it. You get it. You get it. Because that's leadership. That's leadership. All right. So... Got it? So the first one is, it's music inside. The second one is, what you project uh, determines everything, atmosphere, and that determines what people get from you or not. The third one is, culture is absolutely vitally essential. And culture is the way we do things. Uh, Peter Drucker said, culture is strategy for greatness. So you can have a great strategy for your company, church, school, Sorry, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I learned it in a very hard way. We were working in Kayamandi, a township next to Stellenbosch. My wife full-time, I assisted her. After long three-week training on uh, uh, 
the, the detrimental impact of sex outside marriage. And they, it took me a long time for them to agree that I was working on this. Okay, so the detrimental impact of sex outside marriage. So after three weeks, I said to them, okay, we finished. How, did you, how do you feel about the training? I said, whoa, best training that they've ever had in their whole life on this. This is amazing. This is wonderful. This is marvelous and all of that nice things. So I said, okay, so you're going to stop to have sex outside marriage? They said, no. I said, how can, how can you say this is the best? You're absolutely convinced that whatever I said was right, but you're not going to stop having sex. That's what they said. I said, why not? And they said, it's not a culture. That night, I came to my wife. I said, Jenny, we've got it all wrong. All our projects count for nothing. Nothing. Unless we change culture. No culture change, no change. As simple as that. So culture is everything. The way we do things. The way we do things is everything. Please remember this. Why did Jesus have to come out of heaven to earth? He could have sent a message as well. You're safe if you believe in Jesus. Why did he have to come? Because that's the only way. To change culture, to demonstrate it. To demonstrate the way, this is the way we are going to live from now on. And he did that for three years and then he left. And then they knew how to live. That's it. Okay. So Jesus did not only come to save our souls. That's nonsense. Nonsense. That's very limited understanding of the gospel. He came to demonstrate how to live. How to live. Okay, so please, culture is everything. So the question, and I'm already asked the question after the first shot that we had, and that is, how do we maintain culture? Key, because you must have culture carriers. You must have culture carriers. Strong culture carriers. You know this thing that the butterflies, is it the, uh, record the, not the caterpillar, the, the, yeah, but what do they call that The pupa to the butterfly. Did you know how they change? They change by, they call it stem cells. They change by guiding cells, showing the others to change. And this is how you maintain culture. So you've got to know who's the best culture carrier. Who says the right thing at the right time in the right way? Who brings something into a room that other people cannot bring into a room? Because it's just not wired. And you keep them. Because if you don't have them, you will lose your culture very soon. That's key. And you can't just hope for it. You've got to be intentional about it. And you've got to know them. Can I tell you how I do it? For instance, I've got discipleship, three discipleship groups. So I found in the one group, fantastic guys. They love Jesus. They all love Jesus. So it's not discriminating to them what I'm saying now. But I just felt that there is something missing. Now, the first thing I felt is there is a little bit of a depth of spirituality missing amongst the rest. I brought in a guy. And when he's in the room, everyone is just feeling, we better move closer to Jesus. <laughs> if we don't move closer to Jesus, why well, then, you know, he is... Because he's just so close to Jesus. 
Ami Fasal, you know, simply a must to have him sometimes with you. And, um, and then I thought, okay, now we're nice and close to Jesus, but we don't have enough fun. So I brought in a fun guy. So initially they were like crazy, and very superficial. But we laugh. And it's good. He's a fun guy. And in the process, he came close to Jesus, and the other guys came close to the fun of Jesus. <laughs> okay? So, so you, you, you have to have your culture carriers. Who carries the right culture? That's the key. Now, um, uh, and please, we see this. You must open your eyes for culture everywhere. I remember we were actually at the Uxa meeting, Marcel's poor. And, and then we, 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 there was a, a national game between South Africa, then called the Springbok Cricket Team, now Pythias, and, and another team, Continental this team. And as we entered the stadium in Bloemfontein, we walked past the beer garden, uh, because the entrance was next to the beer. So we went, and, and they were halfway through the match already, and here we walked past the beer garden, and all of the guys were intoxicated, like, without exception. Oh, but Buddha, you, you can say it for what it was. So as I walked in, I only had white kids with me. And as I walked in, I just stopped them in the middle of them and I said, just, just, just look at this, just look at this. Can you see these guys? And I'll say it in Afrikaans first. I said, hello Afrikaans, that's ethnic gaming. I'll tell you ethnic gaming, I'll let you. Because you've got to sense culture. If they are Afrikaners, white Africans, I'm not one. But I think I'm the one, and they are not. You understand? You've got to disassociate you with culture. In Kayamani, where we work, I have to sit with the people and say, Can you see what most people do? They push up trolleys from pickup bay with beers in it, and they do it half the day. Because 70% of the township is intoxicated every single day. This is what we want to be? Are you this? And if you're not, who are you? And who do we want them to be? Culture is everything. So how do we feel the school? The other name for it is ethos. Ethos is the way you feel things. Worldview is the way you see things, and ethos is the way you feel things. How does it feel? The one thing is to talk about values. The other one is how does it feel? And what makes us feel good or right? Right. And sometimes it's the sentences that you use. Sometimes it's the way that you greet each other. You know? Try this. Try this. Uh, greet each other just for a week in a certain way. Hey, daughter of the king, good morning. My wife has got this She's got a pendant here written in Arabic, daughter of the king. Do you think my behavior towards her is different when she wears that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So when she puts it, hi, good morning, daughter of the king. What? <laughs> so the way you do things determines culture. And speak about it. Because most people do not even speak it out. So they, they feel it, and those who they are intuitive, they can feel it, the others can't feel it. The others must speak it first before they can start to feel it. And for many, you better spell it out otherwise it cannot be. All right, got it. How does the school feel? So the school looks good, but I can't feel the school because we don't have the pupils here. 
But if we have them here and the teachers in action, then I will tell you, just by walking through the school, I will feel it. All right? And you know the confidence changes. Okay.